Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Dick Foth for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into a book by Lisa Potter called The Collective Journey, an invitation to go deeper in your life and leadership. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks a million, Aaron. It's always a joy to spend some time with you, Dick. I have two questions that um, one listener sent in. The first one is, I'm leading a small team that is composed of colleagues and friends. At times, I need to make decisions that are not popular. How can I keep this from impacting my friendships with those on the team? You know, I think the operative um, couplet of words here is small team. Hmm. Because oftentimes it's a small team in a relatively small setting. Hmm. You know, it isn't like you're leading IBM or something. Right. And, uh, and so it's hard for me to generalize, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. And friendship uh, is at the heart of this question. Hmm. I used to think that friendship was a watered-down version of love. And hmm. then some years ago, as I really looked at what Jesus said, he comes to the uh, to the night before the crucifixion and he's giving his pre-crucifixion talk, if you will. And he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And then he says, no greater love has anyone than this, than someone lay down his or her life for the spouse. Hmm. Well, it doesn't say that, or the kid doesn't say that. It, it says for the friends. And so he redefines love and friendship language. So for us to be concerned for the friendships is not just valid, it, yeah. it's critical. And the, the key to this for me, in, in terms of situations where I've been there, is that the challenge for some of us is that we like to be liked. I hmm. do. Hmm. And it took me a while as a college president. I don't know that I got there. I'm, I'm not sure I'm there yet, but it, it took me a while to understand that it's that in leadership, it's more important to be respected than it is to be liked, hmm. uh, to be seen as fair. It isn't like people think that every decision that is made is going to go their way. It's, yeah. it just, it, that's not, that's not the real world. So I, I would suggest three things uh, in terms of how we make decisions that impact it. First of all, get input. Getting input is not the same as making a consensus decision. Okay. So I get input and say, I want to hear your input. Then it's my role, it's my function to decide. But in between getting input and decision, I need to make it, I need to pray. I yeah. need to say, Lord, I need help here. I'm not smart enough for this, but you've given me people, or we are together in this, and so um, I'll, I'll learn when I listen. And, and the, the operative um, phrase, I think, is what is best for the mission? Hmm. What do we need to do, quite apart from what my thoughts are or, or what my desire might be, is what's the best for the mission, and we'll just give it our best shot. And I need to understand as a leader, that there'll probably be a number of times when I won't be understood. Yeah. If you're waiting to be understood, you won't lead anything. Wow. And um, 
Hmm. That's all I have right there. Wow. <laughs> that's a that's a, a tweet there. If you're waiting to be understood, you will you'll never lead anything. That's good. Good stuff. Second question, they said, those same decisions often impact my wife um, as she can be sidelined because of unpopular decisions I make. How can I lessen the impact on her as a female, as her female friendships are vitally important to her in this um, Islamic context? This is, this is a powerful and very challenging question. Hmm. And I don't... Um, I don't, I don't claim to fully understand the cultural context that's being spoken, but I do know this. Uh, when, when we went to India back in 1945, so we're, we're talking almost 80 years ago here. Uh, when, when we went there uh, for the first months, um, we were in a village in the south of India where nobody in the village looked like my mother. Hmm. And it was tremendously challenging for her in that first year, some, some tremendous emotional stressors because who, who could one really talk to? Yeah. Who could one share their lives with? And when you have a context where a decision is made that clearly bleeds over into the family or into the, into the spouse, I think, I think to be able to pray this way, Lord, give me, give me one person. Hmm. Give me one. There will be times of tension. There just are in life. But give me one person. It's possible that that one person won't be in that circle of mission families. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes... <laughs> Here's some heresy. Sometimes it's even better if it's not in that <laughs> families. And so if I pray, give me one person and help me have insight. Uh, but I need the one person, I think, yeah. for the emotional, spiritual uh, stability and practicality. Uh, I've recently been in a situation where... Uh, a colleague was going through something uh, very challenging. And we tend to walk every now and again by a river here in Colorado. So we went walking. And uh, I don't know that we're particularly bosom buddies, if you will. But as it turned out, just that piece was a, was a great help. So hmm. I don't know that that's the best answer one could give, but it is my answer. Yeah. Or at least my thought with regard to it. Thank you so much for your wisdom and insight, Dick. It's always uh, it's always an, uh, a pleasure to spend some time and learn from you. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Lisa Potter on her book, The Collective Journey. Just an insightful conversation and really appreciate her, her lessons in life and leadership. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast, Lisa Potter, back for the second time. Lisa, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Aaron. It's a joy to be back here with you again. Yeah, yeah. it is Thanks exciting. For me. We got to see each other face to face this summer, and um, that's always good. And uh, but did um, my wife got to go to Missions Day? Lisa gave a yeah. book at Missions Day. I ended up being on a beach in Wilmington, North Carolina, and. 
I read the, it was a phenomenal book and I thought I would love to have her on, back on the podcast. So Lisa, welcome oh, back. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron. I'm just honored you read my book. Yeah, you know? no, we, <laughs> I, we read it and pondered it and thought about it. And so it wasn't just a quick read. And so it Good. really sparked a, um, yeah, a lot of thought and prayer in my personal life. And I'm, I'm excited for our conversation today. Oh, me too. Lisa, can you give maybe just an update? Um, I think listeners like to hear where people are at personally and how they're doing and just a little update before I I start peppering you with some questions. Okay, sure. Yeah. Well, like you said, I um, lead the women in the Potomac Ministry Network. It's called Women Who Lead. Yeah. And uh, that's that's kind of my full-time job. And then on the side, I've developed this program called The Collective Journey for Next Gen Female Leaders. It's the title of my book, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's yeah. it's just an invitation for for women to go deeper in their life and leadership. I'm also, um, you know, that's kind of what I do. But who I am and what makes me the best part of me is just being a wife to Frank, uh, a mother to Lindsay and Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's been married for about nine years and they live in California. No grandbabies yet, which I'm very disappointed about. <laughs> those will come soon with his beautiful wife, Allison. And and then our daughter, Lindsay, just got married last weekend to Brandon and wow. we inherited three little boys with wow. this um union uh yeah. jake luke and wyatt and wow. so um looking forward to being a gma a grandma yeah. that's exciting <laughs> that, that yeah. is an exciting 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 thing so yeah so lisa i read your book you talked a little bit about that idea of a collective journey can you just share like the genesis or the origin of how god mm-hmm. laid that on your heart and how you led up to, yeah, to this place. Yeah, well, it comes out of a personal experience, but then the written part of it um, was done through my graduate work at uh, AGTS, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, when I did my master's in leadership, uh, but started way before that. uh, As a young pastor's wife, female leader on staff, a credentialed, you know, woman in the Assemblies of God, there were a lot of things missing for me in my growth, you know, in life and leadership and things I just had to figure out on my own through just osmosis being in the room and hoping <laughs> my heart would be open. My ears would hear what they were saying. Yeah. Um, hard knocks of life. Um, I went through a period of depression and I remember the, you know, the counselor that I went to ask me who my friends were. And so I started Hmm. to build a community of friends and realized that loneliness in ministry is a real thing and it can defeat Hmm. us. So basically personal experience based on research of wanting to give a tool to write something that I could pass on to leaders who are coming up, female leaders that are my age, you know, we're my age and They, they're struggling. They need a mentor. They need a coach. They need a sponsor. Yeah. Um, they need somebody to say, hey, how is it with your soul? And so mm. The Collective Journey is just um, a book designed for all women in all seasons of life and leadership. Men, too, because yeah. you read it. My husband exactly. read it. He's like, he's like, hey, I want to do some of these things yeah. as well. So it's a journey that the reader embarks on that takes you through four foundations to deepen you um, in your health and wholeness 
leadership journey yeah, to be a good. better you. Yeah, you know, here's awesome. what I know. God wants us to flourish, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. He wants me to be a better version of myself. And I wrote the collective journey so that we can be a better version of ourselves Amen. and put tools in place. Amen. That's kind and, of the genesis of it. And I love the practicality of it. It, it really mm-hmm. it is very practical. It's um, it's very readable. Your, your writing style is... You don't, you know, I mean, sometimes I think writers trying to impress you with big words that I have to then look in the dictionary <laughs> to try to figure out what they mean. It, yeah. It's yeah. Aaron Santamire understood it. It was, it was, it was excellent. Um, oh, thank you, you. You mentioned there about four foundations. Can you just share what those four foundations are and how, why they're so pivotal? Yeah. So, um, like I said, based on research and personal experience, but uh, the four foundations that I came up with um, that, that we needed to go through are separated with two inner foundations okay. that look inward reflection mm-hmm. and two, the last two that the reader goes through are the outer reflections. So core self is the first one, which is the power of inward reflection, mm-hmm. communion, the power of your story, calling, which is the power of God's design in you and community is the power of your network. Hmm. Those are the four foundations. And just to go a little deeper in those core yeah. self, ask the question, how is it with your soul? You know, and I use that example with the Wesleyans, the early Wesleyans, like we can fudge, how are you? And I can say, I'm fine, you know, but if you ask me, like, you said, Lisa, how is it with your soul? I think I'd have to ponder that and give you an honest answer to it. And so as leaders, we're on the dress, wearing the right clothes and making sure we brush our teeth and we're presentable. But often it's the neglected parts are that inner part of us that is dying inside. We see this all the time with leaders, athletes who fall short because they can't sustain what is being asked of them because they they have no inner foundation, no heart to the matter. And so core self is like not about wearing the right clothes and and preaching with the newest technique, uh, following this preacher you like or communicating in that way. But It's working on the inner place, the place that wins no applause for the people that we're ministering to. Um, Communion is um, the power of your story. And in this foundation, the reader, I ask them to embark on a story map and take Mm. a spiritual prayer retreat where they think about their story. And I came up with this foundation because um, Jesus in the communion analogy, sits down with his disciples and asks them to, um, you know, partake in the bread as a representation of his body that was broken and the blood that was shed for us. And to, and we duplicate that as well in our Christian, um, you know, values and what we do in our churches. But it, it hit me one day, I was like, that's a really painful part of his story. And yet he says for us to give thanks. And um, how much of our inner story we try to hide away from people, the painful parts. And so I take the reader through the whole of their story, asking them to go on a journey um, with God to find forgiveness. Uh, Another reader that I, uh, a participant in the collective journey, I love this because she was like, 
She was like, I really struggled with my story map. But when I got done, she was like, it was, it was like I opened up a junk drawer hmm. and found a key to this house that I had lived in like 20 years ago. And I had to ask myself, why am I still keeping this key? Hmm. It doesn't open any doors to where I am right wow, now. That's good. And she was like, that was the power of the story map for me. Yeah, that's good. So that's, good. that's what they do in um, core self-communion. It takes them through the inner focus. And then we move to an outward focus with the last two. And I'll quickly just like calling basically begins this where the individual builds upon these inner and outer focuses. But it's a foundation about our unique design. Okay. And in this, they do a vision and value statement. Okay. I had a stay-at-home mom go through the collective journey. Because when we we talk about life and leadership, we think it's all these people that have platforms. And a stay-at-home mom emailed me and she said, I went through your collective journey and I can't believe I would have gone my whole life without a vision and value statement. Wow. She said, this wow. has changed my life. Hmm. So uh, then we take them through community which is the final foundation, and it's rooted in the number one struggle that research shows us for female leaders, loneliness. Hmm. So in that, um, you know, there's that old African proverb that says, if you want to travel fast, travel alone, but if you want to travel far, travel together. And so we develop a network page in this foundation where they fill out, They, I ask them, who are your models? You know, people who do what you do. Who are your heroes? These are people you admire. Sponsors. These are people you and I talked about this, our first, you know, uh, podcast we did, but sponsors are those people who open doors for us. They speak about us when we're not in the room. And it's a really vital aspect of a female leaders community to have sponsors who will open the doors for them mentors, people who coach and invest in you. We talk about partners, people who hold you accountable, your inner circle, your Peter, James, and John. And then who are you mentoring? And Hmm. we build a sustainable community for them and help them guide themselves through that. So we're not alone in the journey. And those are the four foundations. Amazing. Amazing. So I'm going to kind of work our way back, if it's okay, and ask a few questions. Loneliness. You mentioned that research shares that loneliness is, can you just go a little bit deeper on the loneliness that you know, obviously you're leading at the network level. You see that in life. Can you just speak to that word loneliness and how that's playing out in the world today? Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, I am leading yeah. at a high level of leadership in our network and I'm surrounded by people all day, every day. But building intentional community is different hmm. than being surrounded by people. That's good. And I think that's why there's this uh, this shift of loneliness. It's like even with COVID in 2020, yeah. what we went through and being um, away from people and just having Zoom meetings yeah. and you're not in a room. So like with Zoom, I can't read your body language sure. or pick up these uh, cues from you yeah. if we're face to face. And it all leads to loneliness. Hmm. Uh, for me, uh, I can tell when I just need a good girlfriend lunch yeah. or um, I have an inner circle that I've built over the years. I write about it in the book and we do uh, yearly girlfriend get togethers. I think establishing community community, 
um, and being intentional about it helps us in life and leadership. There's longevity in that because I'm not going it alone. And and like I said, many leaders are surrounded by people every day, Hmm. but they're still lonely. Hmm. Um, It's because they don't have intentional community. Hmm. Um, people who are pouring back into their lives, holding them accountable. And uh, it's it's really, really important that we we look at that as part of our health yeah. uh, in, in the core of it all, that we will lean into intentional community to combat the loneliness. Yeah. So if there's a, if there's a, it doesn't have male or female listening into this and that resonates with them, that idea of lonely is this, when they get the book, you'll be able to walk them through a process to begin to consider how they can have a plan to move out, not move out of loneliness, but to begin to see a hope for a way forward. And that's what I got from it. But is that, is yeah. you're the author, so I don't want to put something in there that yes. was not, but is that, is that what your, your desire was? Yes, it it was my desire because it was actually the very thing that propelled me to go to a counselor. I didn't know what the root of my depression was, but the root of my depression was my lack of community. Hmm. It was that I was leading a church alongside my husband. We were busy in ministry. I was surrounded by people all Hmm. day, every day in crowds of people in rooms, but I was still lonely. Mm. And uh, and it, it the loneliness spiraled me into depression, and thankful for Christian counselors who can hone in on that yeah. by you know just their education, but also being led by the Spirit. And I remember at the end of that session, the very first session, he he just asked that question: "Who are your friends?" Mm. And I was twenty eight years old, and I couldn't name one friend. Wow. And you know, and when we find ourselves in that state, and we're we're depressed. We don't think anybody wants to be our friends. But I prayed all the way home and God just intervened and answered that. I had to be intentional about it as well hmm. um, to see that it was something I needed to build upon. And I'd say today that those two women that are in my life, they've been in my life for 28 years now, um, are definitely uh, have made me the leader I am today. That's they amazing. have made me a better person, um, just joining arms with them. I think the personal testimonies, uh, they just add so much validity to it. You know, there's theory. That's what your book has a great theory and you've done research. And these personal stories just add more and more validity to it because you've lived it out. And I think that's yeah. the the exciting thing, the exciting mm-hmm. part of it. You talk also in there kind of going backwards on the foundations, the idea of a prayer retreat to listen. Um, how have these prayer retreats, how does that work? And and how has that really impacted your your life and your 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 core self? Um, greatly. I, mm-hmm. I can't live without my prayer retreats. I schedule them in my calendar. I do them quarterly. Uh, uh, they're my block out days uh, that I uh, that I lean heavily on all of them. I think the problem with people diving into a prayer retreat is we think it's got to be this prayer in silence. Um, I, through the book, take the women through a journey of asking them what is life giving. So for me, uh, these prayer retreat days, I incorporate life-giving things. So some days I like really coming up on my next prayer retreat, Aaron, I think I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm at this place where I've just already said the life-giving thing for me to do on my next prayer retreat in a few weeks is to just curl up with my favorite blanket and take a nap for um, the afternoon. Uh, But I'll also incorporate into that um, healthy things of uh, listening. We do a lot of talking in our roles, right, as leaders. Um, I just need days where I'm listening. I'm listening to worship music. I'm hearing the heart of God for my life, um, my family. Uh, So these prayer retreats are stabilizing force in my health journey as a leader. And it's a practice that Jesus modeled for us on going to the other side where, you know, we see that where his disciples came back from ministry and he said, you must be hungry. Let's go to the other side and get some nourishment. And they fell asleep. And and so it's that eating a good meal, resting, napping and experiencing life giving practices. Um, it's very important in our life and leadership. So what I think I'm hearing you say is those life giving things might be different for different people. Is it would that be yeah. maybe even in the, the season of life you're in? Could it look a little so it's not like a cookie cutter approach, but rather it's no. it's uniquely tailored for the person. Could you share just a little bit about that? Yeah. So in the book, I give a um in the appendices, there's a life-giving exercise page where you can circle things. I give different ideas like a walk or jogging or shopping, right? Can be life. A trip to Target can do everyone a world of good, I'm telling you. <laughs> Without a list, just peruse through the aisles. And I'm sure there are some listening to me giving a hearty amen right now, but my like, wife included. I, yeah, I tend to be on the creative edge of of life, and so I love to restore and paint old furniture. And um, I'd say twice when I twice a year when I do these prayer retreats, it entails me outside in the summer on my patio with the worship music playing, and I'm painting and restoring an old piece of furniture. My day also includes um, added time of Bible reading and prayer and listening, but incorporating life-giving practices. Like Frank and I will do these um, spiritual prayer retreat days together, and we love to ride bikes. And so we'll start our morning together with a pretty hearty bike ride, you know? Um, we'll load our bikes up and go somewhere and then come back, eat a healthy lunch, and then maybe head off on the porch or the living room somewhere by ourselves to just do some prayer and listening time. So it doesn't have to be this spiritual, and I'm doing air quotes there, like, you know, just (laughs) regiment of its, but allowing God to speak through us and to us and how he's created us, the dynamics of who we are. Yeah. I love what that. What breathes life into us. I love that. I love that. Yeah. In the core self, um, you share about the soulful you, the mindful you, the heartful you, and the creative you. Can you unpack these? I honestly I spend a lot I spend a lot of time 
when I was reading, pondering, I, I shared with before we started recording. And as I read the book, it was not just like something you just flippantly get through. And I, there's some books I read really quickly, but this one I, I think I pondered on. And as you dissected, shared a little bit more, it it actually led to a, some a lot of time of reflection for me um, in these in these areas. Could you just share a little bit about those? Uh, yeah, I wanted to create a practice for each foundation that, uh, like you said, it's. It, I, I say in the beginning of the book that the collective journey isn't a book that you read it quickly to say, check, I read that book this week. But it's it's a journey that you take. And I actually hope people will take the journey with others so that they can discuss what they're learning. And that's the practice that I do here in the network, I take young female leaders through a six-month journey in the collective journey. Uh, but I came up with these soulful you, mindful you, heartful you, and creative you because just like I was saying about prayer retreats, we're all wired differently. Um you know, some of us are extroverts, some are introverts, and so how we process is even different. I'm a visual learner. Like, if you've got it on the screen for me, I get it. But if verbally you're just talking to me, I don't, my mind gets distracted. I need to see it visually. And so taking that into consideration, I come up with each foundation has soulful you, mindful you. And the soulful you is just best for those who want a deeper understanding you're that soul person you know like I hear what you said but let's go deeper into this and you can do your studies um mindful you celebrates that researcher you know that's that probably Enneagram five they're getting down in dirt like into that they're spiraling down into that word what did that Greek word mean and then heartful you speaks just to the heart of the matter like Oftentimes, I'll, I maybe say, uh, for instance, in community, um, under Heartful You, under the Community Foundation, I just say, send some thank you cards to a hmm. few of the people on your relationship resource page and tell them how grateful you are that they've impacted your life. Be specific about that, hmm. you know, because that's a heartful gesture. Yeah. You know, when we receive a thank you note, uh, someone sends us one it's it's a heartfelt you know yes. and then creative you is for the artsy ones in the group like me who wants to make my own cards or yeah. or yeah. like uh I have scriptures throughout my house on little canvas boards that during a certain time I've you know um I've painted or something yeah. and they're not perfect but they sit in my office in my house yeah. where I can reflect on them That's so good. That's kind of the idea between the the four different ways to go yeah. about it. I, yeah, it was just very insightful. And um, like I said, it it I spent a lot of time pondering on those. The other one of the other things I had highlighted that I I, I think we can grow in this area. Um, you you share that about leaders. Leaders are leaders, but are expressed as male and female. And um, mm -hmm. could you just share a little bit more about that and? You know, we come from you and I. We come from a Pentecostal movement where female leaders were at the the grassroots of it. They really were. Yeah. And then we kind of have, there was a season I think where we kind of that shifted and morphed. And I, um, I'm very encouraged. I think we're moving in the right direction. I really do. But I think yeah. we still have some uh, some opportunity to grow. But can you just share why you some reasons you included that and the importance of it? 
Yeah, I think it is a misunderstanding because we have a feminist movement that, you know, really was birthed in the church. And now it's turned to this thing that we don't want to, as Christ followers, be a part of it. And so there's a mixed message there. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love to use this. This In my research, I've found several people that I feel like explain it yeah. really well. And um, we are male and female. Yeah. You know, if there wasn't a difference, and there's just not outside differences, there's there are differences sure. to male and female, how we were created and how we're raised is different. This yeah. plays a lot into leadership mm. um, because it goes back to, I can't negate my story. I can't mm. like, so asking the questions of my life, you know, like my dad, you know where I come from. Yeah. You and I come from the same place, For right? Sure. I love my dad. He passed away two years ago, loving to death. But I don't know if you remember like when the, the, female pilot from the Southwest landed a plane like on the highway. Yeah. He felt it important for me to know that she, and she was a woman. You know? <laughs> In other words, <laughs> it shocked him that a woman could do that under stress. And, and I remember saying to him, well, daddy, I was, I called him dad. I was like, well, daddy, you know, I can't think of a better person than a woman to land that plane because she's had to juggle babies and work and all kinds of stuff. So when we think about this litmus test and understanding the power of our femininity as a yeah. woman, it comes to us with, with us at tables where we yeah. sit with men, our counterparts. And so how I was reared, how did your, how did your father feel about female women? Hmm. How did your mom view women in leadership? How do you view, you know, and yeah. what were you told? Um, did you grow up in a family where your brother was praised for acting the way you were acting, but you were told you were bossy, hmm. you know, so it's just different things like that. Yeah. So we can't take apart our femaleness. One thing I noticed, I think Sheryl Sandberg said this in her book, Lean In, but she was like, women are raised and reared to raise their hands, and boys mm -hmm. aren't. Wow. So I That's notice this all the time. <laughs> I am sitting here at the at the network office in yeah. meetings. I'm the only woman in yeah. the room with department directors, yeah. and I will raise my hand and wait <laughs> to be called on when the guys in the room just are are barreling over yeah. me with their comments yeah. and their questions. They're not raising their hand. And so when I come around a table like that and take notice, I don't leave saying as a woman, well, they never call on me or I never get to say anything. I kind of got to get an edge about me and just speak out like they do. Yeah. Cause I'm at a table with them yeah. Yeah. and I have to turn aside how I was reared and how polite I'm trying to be and just <laughs> be in the locker room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I just yeah. kind of have to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the litmus test is, you know, I'm I'm still a woman. Yeah. And um, and we lead differently. Look in the Bible, like with Deborah. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because um, songs were really important. We have Mary's song. We have, uh, but Deborah served as a judge in Israel, and it wasn't because there weren't any men available. It was because they needed a mother in Israel. Hmm. 
If they had needed a father in Israel, God would have found a father in Israel because God is limitless. But evidently they needed the mother in Israel. And when she goes to battle down with Barak and they do all, they, she comes back and what does she do? She writes a song. And that song is part of the feminine leadership of the day. Miriam, Hmm. you know, it says the, the men typically went into battle and the women waited back. They didn't fight the battle. And I got to be honest with you, I don't want to fight the battle. <laughs> I'll gladly sing the victory song, you yeah. know? And so that was them operating in their femaleness. And Deborah comes back and she writes a victory song. Yeah. I, Deborah, wrote, yeah. says, and I went down. And then when they crossed the Red Sea, it says, Miriam the prophet picked hmm. up the timbrel and she began to sing that the horse and the rider is thrown hmm. into the sea. It was the DNA, they say, Miriam the prophet, which is a leader. Hmm. But her DNA, when they crossed, her special place of leadership was to lead that community in a song. Wow. And she did it. And it's powerful when you start to learn that litmus test. So we try to run away from the fact that we're women. And, And it's like, no, diversity changes the table. Yeah. So we shouldn't try to morph into what everybody else at the table is. We bring our uniqueness. Yeah, it's good. And that's the test. That's good. And very yeah. challenging. Very, very challenging. Meaning. Um, on that, I wanted to ask you about um, what are some reasons you have discovered that meaning is so paramount for leaders? I think it, on the surface, it... You know, it might seem simple, but you do a really good job of highlighting the importance of it. And that's why I just wanted to ask you about it. Uh, Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's actually a dedicated chapter in my book on meaning and passions. Um, And I based that chapter on research that I had found in the McKinsey and Company research uh, with Joanna Barsh and her book that she wrote from the results of that research, How Remarkable Women Lead. Hmm. And so I had to read the book for one of my leadership classes. And as I was reading it, meaning just because there were five core um, foundational pieces that when they researched all of these women all over the world, high-level CEOs, um, women who had started up small businesses. And um, so this is outside of the church realm. You know, we're talking female leaders that are, um, yeah. So when they were talking about this, um, she comes up with the meaning of all the five, of the five that they found out, meaning was the one that all of them had in common. They, it, it was what kind of, took them to this place where they could do the hard stuff because Hmm. they had found meaning and passion in their work. And it actually, when I started to do some research, I found out it dates back to early ancient Greece with a Greek word called eudaimonia, which Hmm. means a connected state of flourishing. Hmm. And so It's when we fully use our unique talents, fulfilling our basic function in life. Hmm. So it comes back to even the prayer retreat. Like you can tell I'm a big 
proponent of us not trying to wear somebody else's clothes. Yeah. But coming to the table with our clothes on. Yeah. With our story. With our, like when I did my story map, I found out that I come from uh, a long line of not educated. I'm actually the first one in my family to be college educated, but they were farmers and coal miners. Hmm. And and I can't negate that. Like, yeah. I can't say, well, that's kind of embarrassing that they were laborers and no hmm. one was educated because education is really important to me or be shameful of that. I look at it and say, it's part of my story. It's what, because they were like that, I was able to find this meaning or work hard. These ethics that yeah. I have come from this yeah. has been handed down generations. And so meaning is the same thing in a sense in our passions. It's what drives us. It's unbeknownst to us. It's like we just end up doing things that we find purposeful yeah. and we find purpose in. So I asked them in the book to to do a little like exercise and say like what are your core strengths so if you're asking yourself well how would i find out what my meaning and passions are um do you love to learn you, do, you know my daughter loves justice okay you know and so she has a graduate degree in public policy right okay so she's a musician and she's very creative but I have watched her life morph into the things she cares about is what her education's in. Hmm. And so are you creative? Are you analytical? Answering these questions can help you discern your meaning and passion. What gives you a sense of purpose? Hmm. Um, you know, what motivates you? What drains your energy? <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. It's not going to, if it drains your energy and you're doing it every day, all day, it's yeah. not your meaning and your passion. Yeah. And then another question we ask in the collective journey is, does your work itself make you happy regardless hmm. of the rewards and prestige? Hmm. So if no one ever notices you, are you content and happy? And meaning and passion in these female leaders in the book, How Remarkable Women Lead, propelled them into places because they may not have gotten the um, been, they may have been passed over for uh, recognition or whatever, but it didn't matter to them. They didn't spiral down yeah. because they had meaning and passion in what they were doing. They stayed the course and then the next promotion was given to them. Hmm. And so the women who didn't have meaning and passion would move on to another area. But these women who were high-level leaders, all meaning and passion was something that was a driving force in their lives. Man, that's exciting. Yeah. Exciting and insightful. I had never heard the book. Can you you said it a few times, but it slipped my mind how about the the book you read that you based this off women effective leaders? Or what um, was the... how it's called How Remarkable Women Lead yeah, by Joanna Barsh. I'm gonna read that. Um that's yeah. gonna be on my reading list. It sounds fascinating. It really, really yes, does. It is. One last question for you. Um you talk about passing on of of dreams. Can you just share a few minutes about the importance of that and yeah, why why what, what are some reasons you included in the book? And honestly, it was really a challenge to me Yeah, as I read that. 
Yeah. The, well, dreams are really important to me. And um, I would say because of my husband, he's a dreamer. I didn't always know how to dream. Um, and then when he and I got together in our relationship, he was such a dreamer. I thought somebody's got to be the stable force here and <laughs> <laughs> say, um, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe we don't have enough money. Maybe we shouldn't do it. So um, I remember us having a conversation about year 10 of our marriage. And he was like, I just need you to dream with me and not be that, you know, I'm not dreaming to say we're going to do all of these things, but it was part of his DNA. It was just part of his personality, how he, how God had formed him. And so I remember that day saying, well, you're going to have to teach me how to dream. And we, Aaron, go on dream day car rides. Um, we'll go to Starbucks, grab a coffee, and he'll say to me maybe one Friday night, he'll say, Hey, I think it's time for a dream day tomorrow. We're actually living on a farm in Northern Virginia that came about on a dream drive that we had. Um, wow. Dreaming. He asked me the question, if money wasn't an object, what would a dream be? And I said, to live on a farm in Northern Virginia where I could have collective journey retreats and, you know, turn a stable into rooms where yeah. women could stay. And so we're on that from a dream wow. day, we are building that foundation. But dreams are really, really important to us as leaders. And the passing on of dreams is most important. Hmm. In the book, I use the scripture of David and Solomon, where David dreamed of a temple, but because of his sin, he wasn't able to build the temple. God said, your son, the next generation will build that temple. But God says to him in the scripture that David did well to have the dream. And I was like, wow, we get rewarded for just having the dream. Hmm. You know, and some of us are me before Frank had that crucial yeah. conversation with me. You know, we're like not wanting to dream because it goes against our personality. We just want to be the stabilizing force in the company or the church and everybody else is dreaming. So I have to make the dreams happen. But God says David was rewarded for having the dream. Hmm. He didn't even get to build the temple or see it built. He's hmm. rewarded for having the dream. And so I talk in the book about the passing on of dreams to the next generation is really vital for us because I think there's a willingness for me at my age to know uh, that all of my dreams in my head may not come to fruition. Yeah. So who am I telling those dreams to, number one, hmm. that I can entrust those dreams to in the next generation in case God takes me home sooner than I expect, they can build upon that dream. Sure. And I actually say in the book that I think passing on dreams should be expected like the generational blessing, hmm. you know, where where we pass on a generational blessing of Lord bless you and keep you and make a right. space to shine upon you. The next generation should be taught to hold their hands out and say, okay, I got that blessing from my spiritual mother and father, yeah. but, but are you going to give me the blessing of your dreams? Hmm. And hmm. if we've got closed fist and not open palms, um, I was with an older um, lady that was struggling with being older and hmm. not going to fulfill her dreams, but she was holding on to them like it's yeah. still my time. Yeah. 
And that's what we don't want to happen. Yeah. Those of us who sat around the room and heard her vent her frustration, it did it wasn't a good thing. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a a vulnerable, transparent, good thing. Yeah. For those of us younger than her, it was like, wow, she's she hasn't built those bridges. Yeah. You know, with the next generation. So Having open palms, not closed fists, saying it's my time, not a closed heart is really, really important. And opening our heart to allow the conveyance of dreams to a next generation and then releasing them like the generational blessing. It's good. Um, That's dreams good. are important. They are. And thankful uh, for a dreaming husband. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, it, this was it's challenged me. I can't tell you. I, I do a lot of reading. And uh, I think this is the first time I've ever come across this concept um, that, that somebody's written about and articulated about. And so it jumped out to me and honestly was challenging to me because, you know, I, I used to think I was a young guy in the room, but really I'm not. Um, I'm getting be, being day by day. I'm becoming the older guy in the room. And the challenge, yes. as you said, of of uh, making sure I'm not the guy holding my fist saying it's it's my time and. And everybody's yeah. going to listen to them if whether they want to or not. So, but a challenging yeah. time. Lisa, it's been phenomenal to spend some time with you again. And uh, um, we'll put links to the book um, in the show notes. You. But will you pray for us um, as we close this oh, out? I will. I will. Thank you, Aaron, for having me again. And uh, just loving the collective journey. Yeah. Um, I'm one of your biggest fans, you and Heather. And uh, we love you and your family. Thank you so but, much. But yeah, let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this rich conversation that Aaron and I have had about the journey of health and wholeness and life and leadership. And I pray for our listeners today that are listening to me that uh, there have been things that have been mentioned in passing that will be rooted deep within their heart. We uh, pray for... um, the female leaders that are listening, Lord, um, the women who don't even feel like they're leaders, but Lord, you're stirring in their heart. You're causing them to dream big dreams and small dreams and dreams that are surprises to them. We ask God for them to lean into that and there to be fruition of these dreams so that they can pass that off to the next generation. I pray for this podcast. I pray it will go far and deeper and richer than we could ever thought or imagine. Thank you for the work that Aaron does for health and wholeness um, and um, how he is going about that. And I pray, Lord, that your blessings would be rich upon him today and forever. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.